Hello, everyone, and welcome back for the next edition of the Sports Pro Stream Time Podcast. My name is Chris Stone, the Senior Content Manager at Sports Pro, and as always, I'm joined by our CEO, Nick Meacham. Uh, for those of you that may not be based in the UK, you may still have seen some of the news. It was a pretty big weekend here, Nick. You know, we got to celebrate uh, the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, 70 years on on the throne. You know, did, did you get up to anything, you know, to, to honor the Queen while you were uh, busy this weekend at all? Got the bunting out, which I didn't even know what it was until uh, someone started telling me about bunting. I had no idea, but uh, had the bunting out, had a few flags up, we had a bit of a street party. It was all happening uh, in our in our little neighbourhood. Uh, so thanks, Queenie. And, and the question: Does anyone actually a pop quiz? Does anyone know what a diamond jubilee is? Well, now we do because I had no idea it was a thing. But uh, seventy years in service is pretty incredible. Ninety six years old. Uh, incredible stint and still looking great. So uh, good work, Queen. Thanks for the thanks for the extra days off as well. Yeah, I was about to say as an American, um, I'm probably wrong for saying this. I was mostly just happy about the extra holiday. I actually had a former teammate from university come over and basically just found out uh, you can't really do anything touristy when it's all shut down. We uh, try to do Buckingham Palace, Trafalgar Square, some things like that. You know, the standard tour stops. But uh, yeah, unless you had a ticket, you couldn't get in. So uh I just told them it's an excuse to have to come back again. But like you, I was mostly just grateful for the extra days off. Yeah, if you looked at the the video and they had the, they had a, a parade, they had concerts. Pall Mall was not the place to be unless you were there for the party and to celebrate, uh, you know, the, the Queen's uh, Diamond Jubilee. But uh, yeah, good excuse to come back to town. I had even my mum telling me about basically how great the concerts and everything were. I might didn't even know it was on. So, uh, yeah, it shows that she's in Australia. So it shows how much the uh, the message of the monarchy spreads across the world. It's almost, you know, the you know, like sports that we're talking about. If you're going to tune into the World Cup this summer, the Super Bowl, you know, Great who possibly, ha- yeah, who has more reach, the Queen or you know these major sports tournaments? I guess, uh, I guess, probably actually pretty close to be honest if you think about it. But that'll be for a debate for another day. Um, So there's a couple stories that have popped up, Nick, uh, over the weekend or over the last week, I should say, since we've had our long week, you know, everyone else operating on normal uh, two-day weekend. The first one we want to start with um, is actually with the NFL. Uh, One of the things we talked about two weeks ago on the podcast is we referred to tipping points and specifically kind of ESPN making that plunge into D2C. Uh, But recently, what we saw that had been hinted at earlier in the year is that the NFL is going to officially launch an in-house streaming service come late July. Uh, Now, what this service is, is basically replacing what had existed with their Verizon deal, which had shown uh, live games via the the Yahoo Sports app. Now, this isn't necessarily a premium product where you can watch whatever game you want, similar to NFL Game Pass or what they've done with DirecTV. It's simply going to be showing people what they could have gotten their local broadcast, just simply doing it um, through mobile, whether that's a phone or a tablet. Uh, so, you know, what are your your takes on this? You know, it's obviously filling a hole that had been there with Verizon, uh, but it also could be something we've seen rumors that there could be an equity uh, play with Amazon or Apple to acquire part of NFL media. Uh, so, so what do you think about this particular move for the NFL? Yeah, it's interesting that they've got the deal this 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 new offering in place considering they have NFL Game Pass um, that's been in the market for so long. But it's always been a bit of an interesting question. You know, you have Game Pass, which is, uh, what's it charge? A couple of hundred, couple of hundred dollars a year, it's About right? 150 pounds, yeah. 
Yeah, so about 250 US dollars a year, give or take the foreign exchange, but a great product, a great service. So, but that's obviously typically at that price point targeted towards quite passionate NFL fans at when you're talking about something that's around the $20 plus a month market. So naturally, if you're creating a pretty typical sales and marketing funnel, there's probably a bit of a gap in the NFL's direct-to-consumer mix of free to uh, incremental revenues to that more premium product. So it does actually fit really nicely into their sort of broadcast mix to have their own uh, DTC offering that is uh, at that lower price point. I'm sure though, as we've seen more and more in this, this day and age, that if they could have done a deal with another broadcaster at the right economics, they would have happily have sold it on to someone else since the Verizon deal has uh, not been renewed. So uh, I think it's it, it fits nicely into the business. It's not something they've had, probably had their hand forced to do, but I can't see who would have really been vying for these rights given the complexity of you know the local the localized approach to it all for now down the line could it be picked up on you know maybe further rsns as they move digitally uh and more into the streaming ott space that could possibly uh, be a viable viable option uh, but ultimately it just fills out their sort of marketing sales and marketing funnel nicely uh i don't expect it to be quite too disruptive but uh, another another piece to the puzzle for nfl now if they are actually going to look to get equity partners involved with their media business. I think just at a macro level, that's that's huge. You know, the business they've grown through their own efforts is pretty impressive. And I don't really know why they would necessarily sell it to say someone like an Apple. Um, it doesn't really seem to make, make a lot of sense to me, but I could easily see someone like a Discovery, Warner Brothers, if they want to make a splash, uh, given what they've done with say golf and golf TV, even though it's had mixed coverage, that could be a really exciting piece of the puzzle that fits with some of the other moves they've made in the past. But let's, you know, let's be honest, anyone doing business with the NFL knows that you have to put a bit of money on the table first to show that you're serious before making a big play like this. So I'd imagine if someone was to buy that media business, it'd probably be someone who they're already working with. I suppose the only other benefit to, to throw in here is the data side of things. Obviously, we've talked about owned and operated platforms. So, you know, what benefit is there for them to, to now have this, you know, direct-to-consumer product? You know, Game Pass was obviously a way to, to get some of that first-party data. But as you said, um, on a much smaller reach, this is going to be something that hopefully is more accessible. You know, so does this continue to play into that? We now have more data, hopefully have more data available to us than maybe we were sharing before. Yeah, it's all important to note that I think this is US only at the moment. So it would be interesting if they can if they can try and take this product and go internationalize it. I think there's a real opportunity for them if they do. Uh, again, because that data piece is is a big part of it. Um, yeah, if they can get more insight into who their audience is, they can make move people quite easily from that free to an entry level product, and then from an entry level product to the Game Pass. But equally, as we've seen and talked about a lot, there's a lot of new products coming into the market, whether it's NFTs and other other initiatives coming in. Whereas the NFL will be in a position to sell directly these offerings to these these audiences. So having a bigger net of spenders in their sort of database will be hugely valuable for them to try and increase the share of wallet of their customers so yeah to your point with the data data is always on everyone's lips as, as we keep hearing about uh, and for the nfl to build up their pool of paid customers even if it's at a lower price point i think would be really valuable for them to build up the average revenue per user in their their wider database 
For sure. And moving on from, you know, the biggest football league in the world to one that is going to be launching a little bit uh, of a smaller scale later this fall. Uh, we had a, an announcement and you can check out more news on that as a uh, member of our editorial staff, Ed Dixon, wrote a piece on the new seven on seven league that over time will be launching later this year. For those of you not familiar, um, you can certainly go through our archives on Sports Pro Media and find quite a few articles about what they're doing with uh, at overtime. Uh, originally started off as a, a series of social media platforms across, you know, YouTube, Facebook, uh, now onto TikTok and as of November, the last time we heard from our friend Dan Porter, uh, who presented at the OTT Summit, uh, they had just over 55 million followers across all their social media channels. He said on a monthly basis, they were getting 1.6 billion, with a B, number of views per month, as well as 530 minutes of content consumed and 88% of their audience uh, was 35 or younger. So they're very clearly going after a very specific audience. And back last year, they launched Overtime Elite, which was a basketball league, which if you follow the American sports ecosystem, was actually quite a big deal because of the recent uh, name, image and likeness that kind of changed the way players could monetize themselves before reaching uh, the pros. But now they're going to expand this a little bit further into football, uh, which is going to be seven on seven. You know, you can read the article for kind of the breakdown, the rules and all that. But I think what the, the interesting question here is what I picked up from Ed's piece is, is it seemed that Dan was more perceptive to this idea of them getting involved with a broadcaster. Uh, historically, over time, his consume or distributed all their content via social media channels or via YouTube. Even their overtime elite basketball league doesn't actually live stream the games. Everything is filmed, produced, added in storylines, and then distributed later on. So for me, I think what's a bit interesting is when we first had Dan Porter on, you know, if you have children, please, you know, cover their ears the way what he wanted to name his session at the first ott summit was gen z is never fucking subscribing to your ott platform but now he seems a little bit more perceptive or open to the idea of a broadcast deal that now there's a bit more of a popularity behind it so we've talked quite a bit about gen z here in the recent weeks with some of our guests overtime's arguably doing it better than anybody else but what are your thoughts about them possibly moving into a more, I guess, traditional broadcast deal, what that would potentially look like? And is that a blueprint perhaps for this, you know, um, unicorn that everyone's trying to get with that Gen Z audience? Yeah, look, I think we've talked about them before in, in the past, but anyone who's looking for a new way to look at building a sports property and a new way to build out a commercial strategy and a brand in sports, go look at everything that Overtime and Dan Porter is doing. It is completely different to the way everyone looks at things. Uh, and it seems to be doing incredibly well in everything they are doing and building an audience and a, and a fandom that is pretty much unrivaled. Like I remember talking to Dan and uh, hearing him speak at our events as well. And he talks about the fact that there's people who wear the brand of the shirt like you don't think people wearing an nba jersey nba shirt with brand logo of nba they wear their teams or they wear players stuff but people wear and do the overtime symbols with their hands and videos and they've built this whole sort of inertia behind the brand which is truly incredible like truly 
driving this connectivity for the younger generation that no one in the sports world has. So um, they've been able to drive this inertia, these audiences uh, and this level of engagement whilst building out a commercial strategy around it that is not built around a traditional broadcast model. And that seems to be getting huge, uh, huge momentum, huge audiences. And look, this, this new product Project uh, Overtime Sevens, I think is what it's called, or Seven by Seven, Overtime Sevens, is a really cool idea and no doubt will get supported. Like for context, the Overtime Elite Basketball League, I think had something like, was it 16% of the NBA's active players were investing into it? Something, it was it was a crazy number. And even you had Jeff Bezos throwing some money in there for, <laughs> to get his, to get his uh, piece of this sort of new wave of media. Um, so look, everything that Dan Porter does and says and what Overtime does, you have to take note. To your point specifically about the OTT service, it's important to note, I think, that in this instance, the way I took what Dan said is they aren't looking to go direct to consumer but what they are looking to do is partner up with big broadcasters who are willing to pay them a big check. The big difference here. So they're not relying on or expecting to build their own D2C platform or give their rights to a lower tier D2C platform and see what happens. They are probably looking for the big home run pitch here where you know they do a deal with the likes of ESPN and, and maybe that might be broadcast on all these different platforms, whether it's through ESPN's linear networks, through ESPN Plus or through ABC. And I think he still didn't give any sense or signs that he's considering his own direct-to-consumer play on the OTT no live broadcast side as something that they're actively looking at. Um, who knows? That may change in the future, but I don't think there was any signs that, that they'll do that. But nevertheless, the model that they've created, building something I guess that you call social media first, in essence, is a model that seems to be working, building out partnerships with major brands who really want to support what they're doing, getting huge investment from big names across the industry and seem to be only just just sort of getting getting moving with all these initiatives. Now, it's important to note, finally, with the league, the league isn't, you know, a, a three months a year sort of initiative. I think it's over the course of three or four days. So sometimes these things can get a lot of hype behind them, uh, including from people like us. But it's important to note for context, it's more like a weekend tournament than a an all singing and dancing, um, you know, true rival to, let's say, the NFL or the XFL or whatever leagues are popping up who want to try and get a big piece of the media market. Well, what I found was interesting, I went back and rewatched his interview that he did for us back in November at the OTT Summit, and he basically talked about with the Overtime Elite League, which I think you'll see similar to the Overtime 7 League, is what they found were there were brands that could not approach the NBA, simply didn't have the budgets for it. But what ended up happening is there was such an affinity for basketball fans that you know they would find Zion... Zion Williamson, for anyone that doesn't know, one of the biggest upcoming names in the NBA, they first found him on overtime. So then he goes from high school directly into the NBA. So the NBA loves it as a product because it's building an audience base for the future stars to come into it. And what they found was with the new OTE league that they've set up, for all the brands that couldn't get into the NBA, they now found this as their roadmap as a way to attract that same audience. They couldn't afford to go to the top level, but they could go to that next level. And I think you could probably see something similar with NFL 7s. You know, we've already talked about uh, 
with the NFL, if you're going to get involved, you better have a, a big check ready to go. But this could be a way for people that are looking to get into that market space um, to get in there, which I thought was a really interesting point that uh, it just kind of reminded me of as we were kind of reviewing his interviews with us in the past. Yeah, 100%. I think that's the, the position beautifully, um, you know, to be this this gateway to the younger generation. And everyone, particularly on the brand corporate world, is trying to connect with this younger generation and build a relationship with them. But few sports, sports is aging, you know, it's an aging demographic. You're competing with gaming and other entertainment products now more than ever. But these guys sit in a great position where they are really connected to that younger generation that fans and uh, that brands uh, are really after. So, yeah, really well placed to sort of fill a void, I suppose, not only for the fans that they're talking to, but equally those brands you talked about. Yeah, so like I said, if you guys are interested in learning more, if you're not familiar, like I said, Ed Dixon's written a piece about the new Overtime 7 League that's launching, but also you can go and look through what they've done with the Overtime Elite as well as just the Overtime in general. So going forward, one of the things that we've discussed quite a bit recently, given its relevancy, um, just in terms of the size of the deal, the part of people that are involved, has been around the Discovery Warner Brothers joint venture with BT Sport. And we've kind of talked about what what we speculated some of those dominoes would be falling into place or what sort of threats that might present to Sky Sports, which currently in the UK is, you know, the top dog. And one of those dominoes appears to have fallen, which is there's now been a sub-licensing agreement uh, signed for Sky to retain the PGA Tour rights um, that they've currently got. And I think to, for context, Discovery originally paid $2 billion in 2018 um, to have the international rights for the PGA Tour up until 2030. Um, that eventually kind of was part of the so-so um, launch of Golf TV in 2019. But this is something that Discovery's had the rights to, but they're going to continue to allow that to, to remain on the Sky Sports platform. So for you, Nick, you know, we've talked about some of these potential dominoes, you know, how do you see this? Obviously, we can understand why it's good for Sky, but why perhaps is this also, you know, beneficial for Discovery to, to allow them to retain those rights? Yeah, it just it's just one of those stories that sort of leans into what we were talking about last week and, and in a previous pod as well. Um, in, in that, that Sky has created this relationship with its broadcast competitors that is more of a partnership so you know discovery warner brothers owning the rights here acting as a media agency media rights agency on behalf of the pga tour here and having the optionality to go hey we're going to launch golf tv and go direct to consumer with our rights here or now that they have this relationship in place with bt sport hey we can push our these pga tour rights into this new this new business we've created with with bt sport but instead, they're staying with the status quo. And there's a couple of obvious reasons for this. One is Sky's paying a premium for that. They've probably done the economics and worked out that they can't bring in the same returns. And Sky wants to be positioned as the home of golf because it has such a strong subscriber base dedicated to golf. Um, but it just reaffirms, I suppose, more than anything that, you know, Discovery Warner Brothers and this new BT Sport joint venture they've created is not coming to disrupt the marketplace and so pull the rug from under under sky here they're going to be very much working heading in the same direction for the definitely for the foreseeable future and this pga tour deal being renewed is yeah, again not unexpected but sort of just reaffirms the alignment of these two businesses will have for the for the years to come. Um, so look, who knows what happens with Golf TV uh, in the UK it's, itself? Uh, I think they haven't got all the matches, uh, all the sorry, all the tour events available, but they have thirty six in there, and I'm not sure about the specifics on whether that's all four days or certain days. So it's quite possible that 
they may still have an avenue to bring uh, live events and golf TV into the market in, at, at, a, at a, a, a greater scale to what it what it has been available. I'm not too familiar with what the, the specifics there, um, but I guess, as I said, it just reaffirms Sky's position and and that relationship with this new joint venture. Interestingly, uh, on the same side of this uh, sort of golfing world, we've seen the Live Golf uh, new tour, the Saudi-backed uh, tour, which has been. Uh, talked about a lot in the media for a whole host of different reasons. They're launching on Facebook and YouTube uh, this coming week, actually. Their um, their first event is in London, uh, which I'm going to try and get down to to see uh, what all the, the song and dance is about. I've seen that they've got a metaverse tent, uh, an eco tent, shotgun starts and um they brought they just secured dustin johnson so they're definitely trying to throw the kitchen sink at this 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 sort of new wave of uh, thinking around sports events but look i think ultimately pga tour it will do what it can do what it can to maintain its market dominance and this deal with sky is just another way of ensuring that they maintain audience uh, for the many years to come. Uh, I think what's the deal? The deal's going to be, I think, three or four years off, off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, they, they maintain their market position and, uh, you know, in this sort of this this war that they'll have with Live Golf for, for the foreseeable future anyway. Interesting. Yeah, if I wasn't headed off to Finland this weekend, Nick, I would have seen if you could have grabbed me a second ticket because that would have been a, a fun one to check out to see what it's all about. Um, moving forward, you know, you kind of referenced uh, the streaming wars that are taking place. And I suppose this most recent casualty of the streaming wars talking about uh, BT Sports Discovery, Warner Brothers, um, was DAZN. You know, they were another part of that story that, uh, you know, not being successful there. But one of the things that was interesting, uh, you know, we came across a piece of news at a time where we're seeing things like Netflix as a subscription only model losing subscribers, you know, kind of for the first time in their history and sort of just these overall concerns about, you know, not diversifying your revenue streams. Um, it's now come out that DAZN is looking at incorporating tiered subscription models, particularly to some of their different markets as a way to try to retain subscribers. Um, this also comes at a time where there's some general shifts going on. They showed that they're going to be um, letting go some employees in their their, their UK-based offices. Uh, they're also looking to allow more autonomy in the, the different loca locales that they're based in, allowing them to operate um, a bit more freely. But we've also seen some other news uh, they said they weren't going to do it, but now they're offering pay-per-view with some of their boxing matches. Um, they've come in and talked about doing some different things with free-to-view, advertising, e-commerce, gambling. You know, they're doing quite a bit, but this new sort of tiered subscription model would be something that potentially is, is disruptive. And I think for me, it's, you know, do you think this is going to be enough to, to keep DAZN afloat given some of, you know, where they're at as a business? And do you think this is perhaps something we could see um, with other OTT platforms, you know, we, we talked about ESPN uh, with Russell Wolf here recently, you know, is it possible you get ESPN plus, but you only pay a, a part subscription if you only want access to this sport, not all of the sports, you know, is this something that could have larger legs, maybe not just for DAZN, but for the broader industry? Well, it comes it comes down to the the greater discussion around bundles, doesn't it? I think what what DAZN did in particularly markets like Italy and Germany was they secured those top tier football rights, and then they trebled the price of their subscription, which I think is absolutely reasonable for those that want to watch the football. But if you don't want to watch the football, then you're stuck with a price tag three times higher, without a choice, and you know, without a choice. And people like choice. Uh, they don't like to pay for things 
that they don't want to watch understandably so i think having a tiered model they went for that they went for this you know the, the sort of the 101 in in subscriptions is have a really simple model and a really simple uh way of communicating that when they launched and that's their their one price no contracts you know uh, same same model for boxing for any sport it's the same model and that was great at the time to market and to launch but the reality is that is not fit for purpose in this day and age particularly in this this fragmented way sports exists and so they have to in the same way we talked about the building out that 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 appropriate model for for going direct to consumer with your live sports product like with the NFL plus initiative design have to do similar to make sure that they are opening themselves up to more potential subscribers um it's just it is just as simple as that so uh it, a move they they pretty much had to make i imagine it's going to be probably football sits in the top tier and everything else will be uh, in those lower tiers they're also adding betting integration though they've obviously had the relationship with uh, uefa champions league which is something we should probably spend a bit more time talking about with the women's champions league that deal from what i understand is complex i don't know how to put it but there's you know i think uefa is paying some of the costs there for them to be actually putting the production effort into that and it's all free to access on their platforms at the moment but i think the play is that in the future they're hoping that a they'll be able to commercialize it directly through subscription but also through broadcast part, um, advertising partners and so forth so they're trying they're really opening the playbook here to try and build out audiences, build out additional revenue streams uh, and moving away from how they launched their product, which was a very simple one, one price, one sub format. So moves they needed to make, I think, to try and start making up that massive deficit of uh, earnings that they have in their current P&L. Yeah, I think within that article, they talked about some of the money uh, their chairman has been uh, throwing at that to try to keep it afloat. So yeah, I think they do need to start yeah. looking for ways to turn that around. For reference, that uh, that article is from the Times, which was had, had an interview with Blavatnik, the the owner, and um, does talk a little bit about some of these details. Um, but I think you, there more more is going to come out about this restructuring. So I think it's in markets. What was it? It was in Spain, Spain, Italy, and Germany. Germany basically, yeah, basically every market that they have the top. Uh, the top football rights available to them. So moves they needed to make. It's worth reading that article from the Times because it's a really nice piece. I'm just check out where who wrote it, but um, a, an article that sort of describes their journey uh, a little bit with uh, some of the, the decisions they've made, uh, which ones have worked, and maybe some of them that haven't. Um, uh, and it's really it's really good read. I think it was written by it was written by Jamie, Jamie? Nemo. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So well worth a read if you can get out get on there. For sure. And then the last one's actually not sports related, but you came across it, Nick, and we just thought it was worth mentioning just to kind of give people an idea of something that's happening kind of in the same industry we sit in and explore whether or not there's an option for the sports world to get into that. And uh, what we're seeing now on TikTok, there's a content creator platform, uh, Pear Pop, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, just trying to 
say it as it, it's spelled, but they're actually going to be launching a subscription comedy series that's going to stream exclusively on TikTok's live events platform. Um, the series is going to consist of eight 30-minute episodes. The first two episodes will be released free for all users, and then the subscription uh, for the remaining six episodes is going to cost $4.99. Now, we've talked about TikTok quite a bit um, in previous ones, sort of what they're doing in uh, some select partnerships of you know live streaming or additional content. But this is something a little bit different with this new subscription model for TikTok. So, you know, what was your first reaction to that? Is there an opportunity for sports in this? And I guess my question would be, does it do enough to maybe differentiate itself from a Twitch? Because it seems like the move TikTok's trying to position itself as is a bit more of a, a streaming platform. And, you know, I, I can see some similarities to Twitch being that, that streaming platform. You know, there, there's some interesting things with it. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, what I'd be curious on the, the, the terms of the TikTok to Twitch comparison you made is uh, the difference on consumption relative to desktop to mobile. I'd imagine that Twitch is a little bit more desktop led than say TikTok being more mobile and vertical in format. In some ways, um, for those that are familiar with the Quibi initiative, which was one of the greatest financial disasters in media in probably recent generations maybe trying to take a bit of their thunder with a more verticalized format with this um, but look i think it's really interesting just to see TikTok trying to expand the way that creators can generate income uh, i think in many ways that's what we've seen across all social media platforms is they're trying to get better at finding ways that those who are creating engaged audiences can drive more value out of those platforms and TikTok has been covered quite a lot in terms of its limited capabilities for some of these creators outside of the the very very top uh the top one percent of influencers so this is a move that is really interesting for everyone to be sort of seeing if they can add a layer of let's call it pay-per-view let's call it subscription depending on how you want to model it if there's actually a viable market for this given TikTok is particularly seen as a more of a, a short form platform right seconds and swipes and and so forth people are they're not staying in one video for a long time typically so yeah very interesting to see this model works i would be surprised if it works because again because of that long form versus short form initiative um, but i'm sure that everyone in the sports world and sports media world will always be taking note of these types of initiatives if, it, if it's a way of bringing something to a marketplace which can attract not only new audiences but also new revenue streams alongside of it well, definitely something for people just to, to keep an eye on when that uh, series does go out to see if it has any success, just to to see if it's the adage of they don't have an expense or they don't have the, the attention span or if your content's just not any good. Well, well, I guess we'll get a little bit more into that. But Nick, that, that sort of wrapped things up for us today. But you've told me we've got a bit of a, a different uh, interview, but one that's going to be really exciting. So why don't you tell people, you know, what we've got next? Well, here we focus a lot around digital and streaming, and this time we're doing streaming of different kind. We'll be talking about audio, uh, and I had a, a great conversation with the CEO of Blue Wire, Kevin Jones, who, for context of those that aren't familiar with Blue Wire, they have over two hundred and fifty podcasts that they operate within their business, generating over ten million monthly downloads and um, Kevin describes it almost like the sub stack of sports pods and uh, really really interesting conversation to dig deep into the business of audio and the business of podcasts uh, and look we, we jump into the conversation talking about 
uh, how they work and support talent and creators with their production and commercialization of their audiences and platforms. And, and also probably most interesting to many people in the biz is what brands are and advertisers are spending money on. What are they actually interested in uh, and where is driving up those revenues for those types of initiatives in the market? And also just really why, why so many athletes, you know, current and former are making podcasts an important way to build brand audience and of course uh, income. So it's it's a really great deep dive and explainer into you know the business of audio, uh, and I'm thrilled Kevin was so open with how they operate and how they generate revenues across the business. Um, so look for me, it's already it really is a must listen if you think podcasts are an interesting area in the media space. And well. Given you're listening to this, I'm guessing most of you are. So um, look, that's enough of me. Uh, It's time for me to hand over to me talking with Kevin Jones of Blue Wire. So Kevin, great to have you on the Streamtime podcast. I've got to jump, jump into an easy one for you, but just talk us through exactly who Blue Wire are. Nick, thanks so much. Big fan of the outlet you've created. Thanks for having me on the show today. I was in sports media for 10 years before this, worked uh, in radio for the Cleveland Browns and in television in Washington, D.C. I did not see a future uh, for those mediums, really. Uh, Saw the success of Ringer and Barstool and thought there should be another platform catching talent. So found a Blue Wire in August of 2018. We are a sports podcasting publisher, but we're also a platform. You can think of us like a Substack or a Patreon. We help creators get paid. We don't have the technology, but the Blue Wire brand is meant to power creators. uh, It's not fully editorial. We're the house of the creators. That's really the play we're going for. So we have 250 different shows, 10 million monthly downloads across those podcasts, We have a huge presence in the UK. We have Arsenal Vision, London is Blue is our Chelsea podcast. Those are two of our top 10 shows. Premier League is our third largest vertical. So excited to break everything down today, man. Talk, you know, it started with my podcast too, my 49ers podcast. So I was the first one and saw a huge challenge for podcasters and built the whole business for it. Interesting. Um, so, I mean, I also recently saw that you, you've brought in a couple of new sort of higher profile basketball ones in the road tripping and lo- long, long shot pods. Uh, I think that was announced earlier in the year. So you guys keep building um, both new and bringing in also uh, existing podcasts into your ecosystem. We definitely prefer existing podcasts. I think we're the kings right now in sports at finding. Longshot was existing with Duncan Robinson, um, Richard Jefferson's podcast, Road Trippin', that was existing. Chris Long, a big athlete that we work with, existing podcast. We like people who are entrepreneurial, start their own thing, and then need help for the second or third. How do I make more money? How do I get more opportunities? Blue Wire is the place for you. I like to say podcasting, there's the upper class with Joe Rogan and the Obamas. There's the amateur class who are just getting started. There's a strong middle class that Blue Wire helps support. And we think they're made up of athletes, influencers, journalists, fans, and we can mobilize the middle class. Interesting. Uh, You know, we're seeing obviously the emergence of podcasts as a platform for 
platform of choice. I mean, obviously, we're doing this on, on our podcast now, but also we're just seeing this sort of emergence right across the industry. The big challenge has been clearly around the monetization side of things. And um, particularly with some of the athletes you're working with, or you work with a number of athletes, they do have an audience through different social channels. But even so, it it doesn't just, if you build it, then they'll just instantly print money, right? There's a lot of work that you guys have to go into to commercializing and helping them turn that into actually a serious revenue stream, right? We've done the work the last four years. I'm wearing Coors Light right now. I'm wearing Wynn Resorts. You know, we, the creators have the content and the listeners. Blue Wire has the brands. We have Mountain Dew. We have Indeed.com, a jobs board. We're basically saying ad revenue is healthy. It's it's awesome, but it's hard to get if you're small. If you work with Blue Wire, we can get a big pizza pie and then cut up a piece of pizza so you can eat. It's really hard for sports creators in the past, yeah, to go by yourself and talk to all these brands. The brands want scale. They want reach. They want to reach 10 million people instead of 1 million people. Uh, so that's our goal, man. We You can be a little bit small and be with Blue Wire and still get paid. Uh, we're trying to aggregate really good content. And yeah, it, it has been tough, but I'd say People are making more money now on Blue Wire than they were a few years ago podcasting. That's a Chris Long. That's a local journalist. So I think we're really figuring out brand dollars are leaving TV. They're leaving Facebook. They're leaving Google. They want more influencer. They want more custom content. I can walk into different ways. We work with Coors Light, but pretty healthy. We're going to do 10 million in revenue this year and want to just keep accelerating that. Um, well, well, while we're on the topic, just so I will remember it, it's hot fresh in my mind. Well, how are some of the ways you do work with brands bringing to the core light was the example you just shared. Let's start, let's start with them. Yeah. So they came in last month for the NFL draft for all of our NFL podcast, about 20 of those, our sports gambling podcast, our fantasy podcast, about 10 of those. And Chris Long did segments inside of his show, uh, about Coors Light we also have a studio in the Wynn, Las Vegas. Uh, they built out Blue Wire's flagship station. So we flew in our podcasters. We had Coors Light beer and koozies and signage all over the studio for the draft. The clients came out with us. We went to the pool parties at the Wynn. We went to the draft. So we're trying to create this holistic experience where Coors Light can get digital, can get an experiential package with us. They came in last year too. They sponsored our narrative show, American Prodigy, where we told a story about Ken Griffey Jr. We did social posts from our Yankees and Cubs podcasters. We create heat moments in sports. There's big moments on the calendar, whether it's draft, start of a season. And Coors Light has come in, Chevy, Pepsi, different brands like these heat moments. And we create a package of content for them. Are you working typically... For those aren't, that aren't in the podcast game, how are you working with those brands? How does that relationship begin? Is it typically through an agency who's working on their behalf? Are you just going straight to the brand and saying, hey, have you thought about this and cutting out that agency or the agency's a key part of that puzzle for you to, to work with? Typically, the agency, they are a key part, Publicis or Hearts and Sciences or McCann. We, we do try and build relationships at all different sides. So once we're in, we try and have a brand direct contact everywhere. Um, we try to have, so there's audio agencies as well too. Coors Light's audio agency is Ad Results. We've worked with them. There's, we, we want to attack things from multiple angles. We want 
Blue Wire to have advocates all o- across the agency and brand ecosystem it takes four years, it takes 10 years, 20 years to build these relationships. And we're saying not every creator wants a Patreon or a Substack. That's a different business model when you have customers. A lot of them want brand deals and they haven't been able to get them. We want to be the place that sports influencers and entertainment influencers come to get brand deals. So those brand deals are obviously super important and a good way to, to activate those relationships. Um, I'm, I'm guessing also you know the traditional ad buys are, are still a pretty core part of that revenue stream mix. Uh, does it skew one way or the other heavily? Definitely. Uh, 60% of our business is just pure play audio buys where people buy all of our podcasts, all 10 million downloads like Indeed monthly, or some will just buy uh, baseball or some will just buy New York. So we can cut the content a little differently there. Then we have Audio Plus, which is Coors Light, who will do social and digital and experiential and you know all, all kinds of fun stuff you can throw at them. And then we'll also... 20% of our revenue, as well as we'll make content. So for when at their hotel, we make a couple podcasts for them. We made Mountain Dew's podcast. Uh, we made NBC Sports some extra content for them during the Olympics. I Ad revenue sometimes during a pandemic, for example, can go dry quick. It's it, So you want to have a, another lever to pull. So we, this was never a part of our plan, but during the pandemic, we were like, hey, we're good at making content. Why don't we just charge people for it? So we've kept that going. Well, let's hope there's not too many more pandemics around the corner. I think that's uh, everyone. I think everyone can be safe to, safe to agree with that. Right. Well, who knows? Like a gas shortage, like the world is going to throw yeah. weird, a recession now. It, it, you know, I think the world throws hard stuff at you when you're an entrepreneur. You got to figure some things out. Absolutely. Um, so while we're, while we're still on the topic, let's go in the next step further. Uh, do you see that monetization and the involvement with brands and partners taking any further major steps in the coming sort of couple of years? Is there a definitive direction that's evolving to, or do you think it's just going to be a bit more more of the same and an optimization of the you know the ad buy and the sponsored content relationship play? Yeah, I think people saw the success of Bill Simmons and Dave Portnoy, and now myself. And so Colin Cowherd started his own network. Dan Levitard started his own network. People are leaving ESPN, starting their own companies. So I do think that's the wave of the future. Steph Curry has his own media company. Tom Brady has his own media company. I think there's a decentralization happening and unbundling of the sports ecosystem. Of course, it'll bundle back up. That's how business goes one day. But right now there's a big unbundling. And it, it's it's dividing up into a pie, and I'm trying to grab a big piece of pie right now. I'm unlike all these other people. I don't I don't have a million followers like all my competition. We're more the uh, melting pot, the 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 brand who will let you come and work for us. Where I think the others are more exclusive, and so that's how we pitched ourselves, and that's how we we're going to have a bigger team than all those people. That's our that's our business model, but. It's cool. It's cool to be competing with the greats. These are people I listened to as a young boy, and now my company is is out here competing with Cowherd and Levitard. Yeah, pretty cool space to be in, that's for sure. Um, that whole audio, that whole dynamic. I guess one of the challenges for any podcast that is coming into the market is 
is being seen. Um, you know, these, these these sort of major brands that exist in the market are, are quite dominant. They own a massive amount of market share. So how are you guys able to help some of those new podcasts that come into your mix to to push their status and position in the market? Are there anything specific you do to, to help them take a notch up in terms of their, yeah, their market position, I suppose? Totally. We onboard and have a whole system here. Let's look at your artwork. Are you good at ad reads? Yes or no. If you're not, here's some coaching. What's your content strategy? How many times are you releasing? What day of the week? People really don't have never had this attention before. And so they get excited that someone else cares about their show other than them. So right from the beginning, we want to be bought in. Most people are here for the paycheck. Let's be clear. Like we, we know that's, we need to bring home the bacon for everyone, but why people stay is, Hey, someone else cares about my show. If I go to an iHeart, if I go bigger, I know they're not going to care. If I go smaller, you know, I, what's happening? I get a paycheck every 90 days from an audio boom or, you know, you, you don't have transparency there. So we're trying to just be in the middle here where we're boutique. You get the touching. Some people are like, hey, I don't want to meet. We, we kind of have a setup with everyone. Hey, what, what's your cadence? We recommend quarterly. We get on the phone. We have account managers on our team. Hey, you're assigned to Light Years, a Golden State Warriors podcast. Sam and Andy are great personalities. Sometimes our podcasters come to us with amazing ideas, just getting on the phone with them. Hey, what are you working on next? They're so entrepreneurial. They're like, yeah, I'm doing live shows on Clubhouse. I'm doing a TikTok now with old highlights. They're always pushing the boundaries and we're learning from them and sharing with the community. I guess, you know, with all these different partners you're working with now, is there a playbook that you you do sort of tell them, you know, in terms of growing audience, creating awareness of the pod, is there a playbook you say, these are the minimum things you need to do? And, you know, is it i.e. sharing clips? Is it, you know, posting a minimum amount on different social channels? Is it frequency or is it weekly, monthly, fortnightly, multiple times a week? Do you have a, a special recipe? Frequency is so big. We, we drop people who are not, consistent so we never cut people during their contract but when their contract comes up and they're not able to post at least once a week it's a deal breaker for us you, if you're gonna do this you can't dip your toe in the pool you gotta do this so that's our big thing before anyone signs and generally that's why we like people who have already started and have already developed that consistency and now we're just putting an infrastructure around it so we love entrepreneurs, man. Entrepreneurs wake up every day. They're thinking about their show. You know, th that's why we don't have thousands of podcasters. We have 250. There's, it's a lot to meet this criteria and have a decent sized audience. So we do have Dungeons and Dragons. We have chess. We have 25 entertainment podcasts outside of sports that we think are like Reddit or, you know, hyper passionate fandoms. Now we're going to go to Comic-Con this year, Blue Wire, and start building more nerd content and we're going to go to different things where we can, this is sports, but like Bleacher Report, like Ringer, Barstool, it, it's entertainment. All those channels talk about movies or shoes, you know, hey, we'll start with nerds, maybe comedians. You know, we have a plan here to scale a little bit beyond sports. Um, what are what are you able to share in terms of just the business model that you partner up with these guys? It, you know, obviously every different every partnership might have its own nuance, but is it just a typical you guys do these deals and there's a rev share model there? Or is it more intricate than that? Um, you know, whatever you're able to to share us and just give an insight on how you work with those guys. 
It's a rev share model. Some of our best podcasters do get a guarantee CPM. We're still selling roughly between $25 and $30 CPM, which is great. Study came out yesterday, 87% of podcast ads are DAI, dynamically inserted. That trends with us too. We've moved fully to dynamically inserted. When I started the business, it was more baked in. But now I think dynamically inserted is holding up at scale. The networks are winning out. It's really hard for an individual podcast to succeed, but the big networks, Wondery, Ringer, Barstool, we're trying to position Blue Wire this way. The ad buys are constant at scale. And so it's really just continuing to grow the audience. Um, that's the business model. It's downloads, but we have quality downloads. We're looking for shows that get closer to 10,000 downloads an episode. We will, of course, work with ones that are smaller, but those are the ones that, that are monetizing really well with us. So we're trying to get more and more shows that 10,000 downloads an episode. Sure. So the I'm curious about, I know a little bit about the dynamic uh, inser, ad insertion, but just talk us through the practicalities of how that works, like nuts and bolts. Like tech, how does that actually get delivered? Yeah, our partners, Megaphone, they're amazing. Uh, Spotify acquired them about a year ago. We work with them with remnant inventory, but we run our own ad campaigns as well through Megaphone. So Indeed is a great example. They bought a commercial in every single Blue Wire podcast this year. Last year, they did a big test. The year before that, they did a small test. So they've been a three-year client. They've been awesome. The way it works is our podcasters put an ad marker into the commercial break of their show. They kind of set up where it's going to be in the middle. Uh, and so they set the ad marker when they upload their show. It's a little bit of an extra step, but we make everyone knows what they're doing here. It just becomes part of the process. So the ad marker is set for, for different ad campaigns. We can set different ads there. Not So for us, we're able to baked in. You're kind of, yo, that was the ad. If that podcaster reads it in the show. Here, we're able to do Indeed for Seattle. We're able to do Chevy for people in Texas. If, depending on where you're listening, you may get served a different ad. That's the big advantage of DAI and why brands are willing to pay more. Targeting has gotten better with podcasting since I founded the company. That's a huge thing for advertisers and why CPMs are still stable. Interesting. So that's effectively acting like a pretty traditional programmatic, uh, you know, display advertising model that we've seen, you know, across the 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 internet for, for decades now, right? It's 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 basically replicating that model in a lot of ways. It is, but you know, an audio download, an audio listen is a higher quality uh, download. Is is really uh, why the CPM has been great. So, um, no, for sure, man. You never know with the ad market. We, you know, I think for us. This seems stable, but we're, we're just riding with the wave. Podcasting is supposed to be a $4 billion industry by 2024. So I don't even know if they're measuring my audio plus in that monitor. I don't think they are. 40% of my revenue is outside of the traditional what's being measured. I think that's more and more companies here. So the pie, I believe, is actually bigger than what, what's being represented. Interesting. Um, so talking about audiences a little bit, now you've got quite a vast array of, 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 of podcasts itself. Um, I'm just curious on the, 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 the diversity of the audiences and do you see as a result of that any discernible differences in audience consumption habits uh, 
Um, so whether it's yeah, whether it's uh, demographics or or even content format types, are there anything you really see that pops up? Um, yeah, that, that might be surprising to some. We're still coastal elite a lot with our audience. So New York, LA, San Francisco, Chicago, Miami, those are a lot bigger than for us. We, we're not big in Nebraska or, you know, the flyover states, some podcast networks obviously are, but you know, for us, it still seems like the technology hasn't been adopted maybe yet by, by some of those states in the South. Also, I've been thrilled, like I said earlier in the podcast with London and UK their adoption of it's growing faster there. Uh, even our NFL podcasts are growing with the UK listenership. You know, we're not able to tell are those native UK or those American expats. It's, it's probably a blend of both, but I'd say London is a top. I can tell you from my perspective, pretty much everyone I know in the UK who listens to podcasts listens to American podcasts uh, as, as well as other, you know, well as British-based ones. So there's definitely, uh, I think, I don't know, obviously the storytelling of Americans is is generally just a lot better than, than the Brits. I'm, I'm Australian, so I can say that. A UK sports fan seems like the, the Venn diagram is getting bigger here where Americans are way more interested in your guys' soccer and you guys are at least paying attention to the headlines and our football. Mm. So... I know my podcasters will be so mad when I say soccer. That's such a, a wicked word. But um, we Premier League is our third biggest category. I can send you an article afterwards that the big lead wrote about it. We have mostly American guys talking, but we do have the Fantasy Football Scout. That's been a longtime podcast uh, independent that we we brought aboard. So uh, we we think we have better Premier League coverage than any podcast network out there. You know, it's kind of all over the place. It's really hard to follow. But if you're looking for team stuff, fantasy stuff, we also have Real Madrid. We have a little bit more international, but really focused on Premier League. So that's been a big surprise for me, man. The listenership. When I founded this company, I didn't know if I was going to have those types of podcasts. But we've attracted those types of podcasters and we're running with the football. Um, do, do you see, in terms of demographics generally of, of podcast listeners, um, you know, does it skew young, old, mi- middle, or all sorts of different age groups depending on the, the podcast um, topic? 25 to 40. So that's that's a big range there, but that's generally we're trying to catch the older Gen Zs and the or no, the older millennials, yeah, or the older Gen Zs and the younger millennials. That's right. So the people who were some of the firstborn Gen Zs and some of the people who were, you know, the, on the younger side of the millennials as well. So huh, that's the spectrum, man. Um, growing with them, evolving with them. That fifteen year, and hopefully these everyone is going to start buying houses. You know, we're, we don't have housing partner yet. Our, a lot of our people don't have mortgages. They're a little young. Uh, so I think we'll, we can grow with this audience with different brands as they start to buy more expensive cars or different things. You know, we we hope Blue Wire evolves into that premium sports digital content brand. And Wynn has been a great example of working with a premium brand just to add on to that. You know, they invested in our company three and a half million over a year ago, built us a studio. They're a publicly traded company. They have all the fancy shops in their hotel, Dior and Prada, and, you know, Blue Wire sitting right in between all all these 
really expensive retailer. So it's been huge for our brand as it's it's one of the finer places on the Las Vegas Strip. There's a lot of uh, sketchy places on the Strip. This one's where Rob Gronkowski stays and Matthew Stafford, after winning the Super Bowl, stayed there and his wife recorded a podcast. Gary V. There's a little bit of a celebrity appeal there. People go there and people watch. So we're an attraction in that hotel. And we, we want to work with more brands like Wynn who not only want to advertise with us, make content, do experiences, you know, we're looking for the whole package with a brand and it takes a while to find those, but we have a great example here of like a three-year partnership that's working well. And how do we do more of these? The, the video side of podcasting, curious how, what role that plays for you. How important is it to have the repurposing and the, the distribution of, of the podcast in video, whether it's the clips and the longer form versions through youtube and alike all good podcasts are recording the video riverside is an amazing app but we're recording this on right now that we also use just raised a big uh, series b i saw but I, I think so even if you're not putting on youtube there's clips even if you're not clipping every show you're going to want to post a clip sometime so getting in the habit getting a hard drive storing all this content if you're really investing in the podcast even if you're not monetizing but you're using it to build SP you're, you're using, you know, and which is a big revenue driver for you. I think podcasts can be your nine iron in your bag of content. You don't have to start a network, but people, a, a brand may look at this podcast, reach out to you or lit more. I get some more listeners or whatever for, for your website. Everyone has the reasons why they're doing the podcast. So um, kind of going on a tangent there on that, but I, you know, I think that that's important. Identify what, why are you doing this? And, and yeah, staying consistent. So, so the video is important for us. We now we're selling it. You know, it's forty percent of our revenue a little bit with the audio plus business model. Coors Light wanted all this video, and we're we're now uh, we can do one plus one a YouTube view plus a download. Uh, audio buyers are now buying that. The simulcast, especially if you can do product placement, if you can throw a Brex credit card or you know something in the video, we can even get a, a really bigger CPM. So again, we're decentralized. We don't have our Blue Wire channel. If you YouTube us, we're selling for way more channels than you see there. So our business is we're scooping up all the independent shows that we think are under monetized. Interesting. Okay. So, you know, video becomes an interesting part of it. How do you see that evolving? Do you see, I guess, just that becoming more and more um, an important channel for, for, for discoverability as well as monetization? Or do you think, you know, that the more traditional podcast aspect or the, the listening aspect will still be the heart and center of where audiences will be and, and also where the money will come in? Listening is heart and center, but discoverability is huge for video. I think people are, I can't watch YouTube videos for longer than 10, 20 minutes. Maybe I can have it on the background where I'm on my web browser looking at other stuff. So, but some people can, I think 15% maybe of listening overall may come from YouTube and it's a good idea. We actually have found TikTok to be our platform for the future where, uh, that's where clips work best on, on that. And that's where younger creators are gravitating towards. That's where my competition, Levitard, Cowherd, they're not as focused on that. They're not as familiar. 
So we have a couple of TikTok shows. One's called Stay Hot. Uh, one's called Don't Trip. Recent college grads, uh, we've helped them build their shows. I think the clips work phenomenally well on the platform there. The audience is jumping over. Their Twitters are growing fast. Their YouTube's growing fast. TikTok is the like the main aesthetic for the show that we're, it's, it's a different look and feel we're, we're closer up on their faces. It, you know, it's, uh, it's a more intimate thing. And I know if I was 20 right now, I would be having a TikTok. how I had a Twitter 10 years ago. That's where the really good talent is going. Interesting. Um, so obviously you've been doing this for a while now. The business is going pretty rapidly. Um, but what have been some of the, the challenges or hurdles along the way to build the business? I imagine you know, you've worked with a lot of different people. So I'm imagining a few, a few hand grenades or a few spanners have been thrown into the mix uh, during your journey. Oh, yes. You know, I have mad respect for The Athletic. They had an amazing exit, but they definitely tried to poach a ton of podcasters a couple of years back. We were able to survive that. Nobody left. A couple of people got some new contracts, but you know, there's a there was a lot of loyalty I learned from that. People like being close to the founder of a company, uh, and I think there was some distrust. Uh, they were paying them way more money than I could offer, but people were scared what was going to happen. Are they going to lose my IP? I don't know. They're they've raised so much money, so I think I was able to. David versus Goliath. David won that that battle. Listen, I've never founded a business. I've never, I've, I've been uh, not even at a desk the last 10 years. I've been interviewing players. I've been writing articles. So this is a complete transformation. I didn't even know how to use Outlook. Uh, of course, I knew how to write emails, but, you know, this whole scheduling and I've never worked in a corporate atmosphere. So I've loved setting a culture. I think I've done a good job there. But of course, there's like growing pains of onboarding and making sure people work in the right project. You know, I'm a hard ass, but I like to have fun. You know, we're pretty jokey, you know, around Blue Wire. We like to have fun. So uh, my head of content is our Yankees podcaster. My head of development is our He's had a bunch of podcasts. We have a lot of podcasters who are full-time. Our Milwaukee Bucks podcaster is an account manager. Our Cleveland Browns podcaster is helping recruit and get new podcasts. So when we talk to the podcasters, we are podcasters and we understand their pain points. So that's been the big separator for us. Why we've been able to scale is podcasters are like, they know what they're talking about. They do this with just like us and there's just distrust in the business world right now. So I was able to, I never planned on it being this big, man. I didn't think it would get this big, but so many people had this problem. Hey, I need help. Hey, maybe you and I can talk after this. <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk. Um, I'm curious while you're, you're building all this business as well, the whole, yeah, you've got so many, I guess, different podcasts in motion. Have you had any that's really been your, your, your big success? The one that is, you know, the 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 what's it, the jewel in the crown, I suppose, of, of success story in terms of what you've been able to help grow. Yeah, a couple. I got a shout out Spinsters with Haley O'Shaughnessy. She left the Ringer, a really good job with Bill Simmons. Had a really good column going there, and she took the chance with us when we were a lot smaller. And her co-host Jordan Liggins. So it's a women's led NBA uh, basketball show. They, they're talking about the issues that no one's talking about. Brittany Griner and, you know, 
Magic Johnson, how the league handled that aid situation versus how they're handling COVID. Um, really interesting niche stuff that Haley was writing about on The Ringer. She's brought over here. It was nominated for iHeart's uh, Podcast Award for Best Sports Show. Apple has promoted it a ton. Spotify has promoted it a ton. I feel like it's been a good career move for Haley. I always want people to, you know, think that Blue Wire was great for their own career. And I don't know if there's many people helping women's voices out there. We have a show called Burn It All Down as well. We have a new story coming out on the Houston comments in our narrative feed, American Prodigy. So women's sports is growing. The WNBA viewership is growing. Most media outlets punt on that content. We've wanted to be really inclusive and inviting. So I've been pretty proud of how Spinsters turned out with Haley O'Shaughnessy. Um, I'm really proud of Chris Long. He founded his show. He did it himself. We haven't even grown it a ton, but he's really our version of Pat McAfee. He's really out there every day going viral, having the, the elite people on his show, He's got the tat sleeves, you know, he's, he's new age. He's who I want representing blue wire. I feel like he's, he's what the future of sports media looks like. So Haleo, Spencer's Greenlight, Chris Long, those shows, I feel like are two of our most popular shows that I'm really proud of where we're at. One of the things that we hear across the industry, particularly in sports is that the younger generation doesn't like long form. I'm just curious, you know, in the podcast game, it's all about long-form content. How, how do you see that? Do you guys see that the younger audience demographics are really interested in long-form if, if it's good and if it's in, served in the right way? Definitely. Long-form's tough for video. You're competing as Netflix. You're competing as people who are investing billions of dollars for entertainment value. So I believe in long-form audio. I, I believe people go on walks. People... Yes, life has changed. No one's traveling and commuting as much where it was really easy Monday through Friday to listen to that show. But I think people found new ways to listen to podcasts, flights and laundry and, uh, you know, even still driving around. I, I, am, I prefer 30 minute shows. Sometimes I am sad when my favorite show is short, but I don't finish a lot of podcasts. That's okay. Honestly, like I'm okay. Not listening to every second of every show, just like a radio show. The sports junkies were my favorite in Washington, DC. I probably listened to 40 minutes combined throughout the whole week, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. So I think it's okay to be subscribed to a ton of podcasts, not listen to the full episode, but kind of, you want to know what's going on. You're popping in a couple times a week. And I, I see that trending upwards as people are like unlocking their freedom. Once they figure out podcasting, they're like, Oh crap. You know, very few people listen to one and say, I can't do it. They listen to one and they just start unwrapping more. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so Kevin, um, obviously you got a lot going on and I appreciate you finding some time for us today. I'm just curious to see what, what is next for Blue Wire? Are you going to keep just doing what you're doing, keep growing or are there any particular evolutions that we should expect to see? You know, I'm raising money again right now. We want to become profitable. We're still losing money right now. So putting myself on the record of that's my next challenge as a, you know, leading this business, doing this at scale, making it an eight figure business while also at the end of the year, not losing money. It's been great having investors. 
So raising a little bit more right now and want to execute our plan of growing. I feel like we're becoming the home of niche podcasters, uh, starting in sports and now branching out into nerds and now entrepreneur podcasts. We have a lot of business shows. So sports want that to be what we're focused on, what we're putting out in the world, but no one's taking care of these other folks. They have good shows. They have good audiences. They're getting shit deals everywhere else. So that's the plan, man. Scale more and bring in more content and help creators. This We are a Patreon. We are a Substack, but for audio. And people want brand dollars. They don't want to create this uh, this business with customers. So I hope, I, man, I, you know, I think there's challenging times ahead. I, you know, we, I glossed over it, but you see layoffs everywhere. And I, I think after we raise it, you know, it's still tough. You got to, there's going to be some hard decisions for your, your founder and CEO, you, you know, the atmosphere is changing. So you're, I think businesses are going to have to buckle down. We've definitely shut down some projects that we thought were big. Uh, hey, we need to be narrow minded. Let's focus on our ad network. So you know, Godspeed to every entrepreneur out there. The markets, the, the seas are choppy. Everyone's in their little size boat or big boat. Even if you're Amazon, you know, everything's down. So fight through it. We've been through a pandemic. Now the recession, I think entrepreneurs will grow stronger from this. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you can never take, you can never sit still and never take anything for granted in this world. That's for sure. Particularly as a, someone who's leading a business and you know, you have a lot of responsibility on your hands when you're helping pay the bills and support people's livelihoods uh, when you have a, a big array of employees uh, working with you and for you. So, But Kevin, look, I think you're, you're definitely onto something and it's great to hear the growth and development you've had. Uh, and look, I'll be definitely keen to follow your journey and BlueWire's journey over the coming years and excited to see what is next. But thank you so much for joining us. Nick, excellent questions. Can't wait to listen to this. Appreciate you, man.